This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode 9 of AFF On Air. Today it is Saturday the 20th of April 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. I hope you're having a wonderful Easter long weekend. Coming up in today's episode, find out why frequent flyer points are a terrible long-term investment. And I speak to Leon Loganathan, who's a frequent flyer based in Darwin, about the Alaska Airlines Mileage Plan Program, Marriott Bonvoy, the recent Amex changes, dealing with the Qantas Call Center, and a bunch of other stuff. That's coming up later in the episode, but first, let's take a look at what's making news on the Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And the United Airlines Mileage Plus Frequent Flyer Program has removed award charts and will shift to dynamic award pricing for travel from the 15th of November this year. United gave no warning of the changes which have attracted criticism from far and wide. The changes will mean that United can charge pretty much whatever it likes for an award flight going forward. It won't have to inform its members when the pricing changes and it also won't be held accountable when prices increase. For now, it seems fortunately like partner airline awards won't be affected, so this won't affect Star Alliance awards, but who knows when or if this will change. Qantas will fly non-stop from Sydney to Sapporo on the Japanese island of Hokkaido over the Christmas holidays and the Japanese ski season. The three weekly A330 flights will run on Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays from mid-December this year until the end of March 2020. Thousands of lucky Jetstar passengers flying from Sydney to Honolulu have had their flights changed from a cramped Jetstar 787 to a Qantas 747 over the last few weeks. Despite buying cheap Jetstar tickets, these passengers received full Qantas service on board, and some even received upgrades as Jetstar has more economy seats on its Dreamliner than Qantas does on its jumbo jet. The change is due to one of Jetstar's 787s being out of service with engine troubles. Istanbul's brand new airport is now fully operational. The big move from Ataturk Airport to Istanbul Airport finally took place around a fortnight ago. Ataturk Airport is now closed to commercial passenger traffic, but it's still being used for the time being by cargo airlines. And I spoke in episode 6 of this podcast about some of the issues the new airport was facing, so I'm pleased to see that it did finally open, but there's still no word, unfortunately, about the new Berlin Airport. Passengers arriving at Melbourne's Avalon Airport on international flights have complained of lengthy delays in immigration and customs processing, with queues of over two hours not uncommon. AirAsia is the only airline operating international flights to Avalon, and it's been flying there twice a day from Kuala Lumpur since December last year. Virgin Australia has opened a new lounge at Wellington Airport. Unfortunately, it only seats 32 people and the initial reviews have not been that great. The lounge is accessible to business class passengers as well as Velocity Gold and Platinum members and Virgin Lounge members flying with Virgin from Wellington to either Sydney or Brisbane. But due to space limitations, single-use lounge passes are not being accepted on the lounge and passengers holding status with a Virgin Partner airline do not have access either. Reward pay and B2B pay are among the services to have reduced their fees for processing American Express payments. It follows the major changes to American Express in Australia from last Monday. However, it may not be quite enough for these services to remain competitive in the long term. 
Reward Pay and B2B Pay are among the services that offer a way for Amex cardholders to earn full points for their credit card spend when paying bills to the ATO or to billers that don't otherwise accept Amex. And Bankwest is making changes to the rates at which Qantas points are earned on its lineup of Bankwest Qantas MasterCard cards from the 21st of May. Those putting large amounts of transactions through on these cards will unfortunately be hit the worst by these changes. Jet Airways has suspended all flights indefinitely after it failed to find an investor. The Indian airline has been hemorrhaging money for months, and unfortunately it's been struggling to pay its staff and other debts, and aircraft uh, have been continuously grounded over the last few weeks as well. So the airline's financial collapse did not really come as much of a surprise, but it is still disappointing. Jet Airways has been a partner of Qantas Frequent Flyer, and Qantas also used to code share on Jet Airways services between India and Singapore. And finally, have a guess what company has been voted Australia's most reputable company for the third year in a row by the Reputation Institute's Australian Corporate Reputation Index. I'll give you a hint. It's a very famous one, but it's not actually an Australian company. Air New Zealand has beaten Qantas for the third year in a row to the top spot. Ouch. Qantas came in in these ratings second place, Virgin Australia came 12th, and Flight Centre came 16th. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, make sure you subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. How many Frequent Flyer points do you have in your account? And how many of those do you plan to spend in the next year or two? Many of us save up as many Frequent Flyer points as we can, and thanks to things like credit card sign-up bonuses, it's not that difficult to earn large quantities of points. And Frequent Flyer points do have quite a lot of value, and they can unlock some truly amazing experiences that many of us would not otherwise be able to afford. But it's important also to make sure that you're redeeming the points just as quickly as you're earning them. And this is because Frequent Flyer points are, in the long term, an absolutely terrible investment. So why is this, you might ask? Well, over recent weeks, we've seen devaluations in quite a few different rewards and frequent flyer programs. I just spoke just before about the upcoming United changes. So they're going to be getting rid of award charts, which means that invariably award prices will um, over time increase. And we've also seen uh, American Express make uh, some very significant changes just last week to their membership rewards program with people's points actually retrospectively losing value if they weren't redeemed before the uh, changes came into effect. Last week, also, Chris Flyer increased uh, some of its award prices and, and upgrade prices with uh, Star Alliance partner airlines, and it follows Singapore Airlines also increasing award prices for its own flights just at the start of this year. And it was also announced recently that the Thai Airways Royal Orchid Plus program will have quite a significant, or a very significant devaluation, in fact, from October this year, with many award prices pretty much doubling. And these aren't the only programs that have made changes recently. Last year, the Cathay Pacific Asia Miles program, another very popular option with Australians, had a very significant devaluation. And there are other frequent flyer programs of very much of interest to Australians that have also hinted of changes in the near future. Qantas, we know, is considering increasing award prices to even higher than they already are. British Airways also, just a couple of years ago, hinted that it's looking at moving its executive club program to a revenue-based program, which is very bad news for frequent flyers. 
And now that United and Delta in the US have got rid of award charts, it's only a matter of time before American Airlines and its Advantage program will follow. So with the big US three airlines, American, Delta and United, once one or two of them does something, the others will pretty much always just copy exactly what they've done. And I don't see, unfortunately, why this will be any different. So watch this space with the Advantage program. So airlines all the time, they're changing the goalposts and it's never in the customer's favor. And sometimes the airline will give you advance warning about this, but not always. So with Qantas Frequent Flyer, the terms and conditions do state that Qantas will quote-unquote use best efforts uh, to advise members about material program changes at least three months in advance. Or if the benefit's provided by a a third party, then it will give at least 30 days of notice. So at least that's reasonable. So Qantas does say that they'll give you some warning if they're going to make changes. Now with Velocity Frequent Flyer they will give you quote-unquote reasonable notice of changes that are materially detrimental to the membership as a whole or any fee changes. So they don't actually specify an amount of time, just that they will try to give you reasonable notice, whatever that means. And with the Chrisflyer program, there's with the recent changes to Chrisflyer, pretty much in every case, Singapore Airlines has given us about three weeks of notice. Now, I had a look at the terms and conditions of Chrisflyer, and they actually say... And I'll, I'll just I'll quote it word for word. Singapore Airlines further reserves the right to modify the Chrisfly program and PPS club structures, benefits, including without limitation award tickets, upgrade, PPS value rewards and elite gold rewards, and other features, including these terms and conditions, at any time. So Singapore Airlines, if you have Chrisfly miles, they don't actually have to tell you in advance that they're going to be making changes. I don't know if you're familiar, um, I'm quite interested in economics, so I follow this kind of stuff, but... Um, you might be aware that in Venezuela at the moment, there's, they're experiencing a hyperinflation crisis, among other <laughs> crises that's happening over there. Now, if you had a bunch of Venezuelan currency in your bank account right now, you'd probably be trying to spend it as quickly as possible because uh, with the hyperinflation that's going on, the money is almost certainly going to be worth less next week. Now, this ex- analogy might be a little bit extreme, but you should really be thinking in a similar way about frequent flyer points. Frequent flyer points for all intents and purposes are a currency, but it's not regulated and it's in the airline's interest to sell as many points as possible. They sell them to to airlines um, and to third parties, which then award the points to the members. Unfortunately, when this is the case, inflation is really out of control with frequent flyer points. So there are now more and more points in circulation than there are available seats that members can actually spend these points on. And so something has to give. Either the prices will go up as airlines try to accommodate the demand, or airlines will try to push customers to use their points for non-flight rewards, things like supermarket gift vouchers, which, as most of us know, are absolutely terrible value. Also, frequent flyer points don't earn interest. Money in the bank maybe, but not points. And in fact, points can expire if you don't use them. And airlines, or frequent flyer programs, even have a target breakage rate. So breakage, if you're not familiar, refers to the points that are never redeemed and eventually expire. There are airlines that aim to have around about 20% of uh, points expire. And in fact, the frequent flyer program business model pretty much depends on uh, some of the points never being redeemed. And not to mention, airlines can and sometimes do go out of business. And if this happens, you basically lose all of your points and you, you get nothing for them. 
and many Australians will remember the collapse of ANSET and what happened there. And we have at the moment quite a volatile aviation market, not so much in Australia, but particularly with some um, overseas airlines. Pretty much every week now we hear about another airline that's going out of business. Just a fortnight ago, Wow Air, based in Iceland, went out of business. And now, of course, uh, one of India's largest airlines just went bust this week. So you should absolutely earn as many miles as you can. You can get very, very good value out of the miles, but just make sure that you're redeeming them as well. Don't save up your points for retirement because by the time you retire, they might not actually be worth anything. Well, it's time now for a quick break. Back in a moment. While I'm taking a quick break, I wanted to tell you about Award Flight Assist, which is a personalized service offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. If you'd like help with redeeming your frequent flyer points for award flights, Award Flight Assist can help you to do just that. Using their expert knowledge and specialized tools, the team at Award Flight Assist takes the hard work out of using your points effectively. Visit frequentflyer.com.au for more information about Award Flight Assist or any of the other services offered by Frequent Flyer Solutions. Welcome back to the AFF On Air podcast. I'm joined now by Leon Loganathan, who's a lawyer for Ward Keller and is a frequent flyer based in Darwin. Welcome to the show, Leon. Thanks for having me on, Matt. You're a frequent flyer based in Darwin. I believe you've just come back from a trip. Uh, where, where have you been to? Yeah, so I just came back from Chicago this afternoon. It was a 33-hour uh, journey from Chicago all the way back to Darwin. Oh, my goodness. And how, how did you come back? Who did you fly in and how was it booked? Okay, so uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Al- the Alaskan Frequent Flyer pl- Program because uh, based on the calculations that I've done, that seems to be the cheapest uh, in terms of buying points when they're on sale or on special. So uh, I bought 75,000 Alaskan points uh, to fly uh, one way from Singapore to to Chicago via Hong Kong on Cathay Pacific. And so from Singapore to Hong Kong is is business class because there's no first class as far as I know. And then from Hong Kong to uh, Chicago, which is a 15-hour trip, was all in first class on the 777. Uh, It's a a nice way to travel. Uh, In my view, that is the highest and best use of uh, Alaskan frequent flyer points. Yeah, it's definitely a great deal. Singapore to Chicago for 75,000 miles in first class. And and of course, you can buy those Alaska Airlines miles um, even sometimes with, with discounts or bonus miles available. So that's, yeah, it's a great deal. And and I guess you're probably also aware there's an, there's another sweet spot with Alaskan with intra-Asia redemptions uh, with Japan yes. Airlines. Have you ever used uh, used that one? or No, but you told me that at a, at a seminar and, and that was the biggest takeaway I got from that, uh, that oh, right. seminar. And that, the 25,000 mile deal, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, business class... Basically, like with there's with the mileage plan award chart, there's a rate for domestic Japan and there's a rate for anywhere in Asia to anywhere else in Asia via Japan, and they're exactly the same prices. So for twenty five thousand Alaska miles in business class, you can get a, a one way Japan Airlines domestic flight, or you can fly from say Singapore to Tokyo, have a stopover in Tokyo even for two or three weeks, and then uh, continue the trip on to say Kuala Lumpur or Jakarta or Bangkok. So it's you're basically getting a round-trip uh, ticket to Japan for 25,000 miles. 
um, but it's priced as a one-way as long as you don't come back to the same place. So that's absolutely fantastic deal. And 30,000 miles at first if you can get it. I'm not sure if um, Japan Airlines has a first cabin on those interchanges. The other great thing about that, uh, Matt, and that is absolutely a fantastic deal, and I fully intend to make use of that one day if it, they don't shut it down beforehand. Hopefully not. But the other thing, <laughs> the other thing that I, I really like about that deal is the availability of business class uh, seats on JAL. You know, you can you can quite easily get you know four or five seats. Uh, on on a trip there, which is very unusual compared to other airlines. Oh, that's brilliant! You can take a whole family over <laughs> to Japan. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's brilliant. And do do you buy any miles from other programs, or is it just mileage plan? Well, Alaskan is my favourite, but I've, I have used American, and in my view, the highest and best use of American Airlines miles is uh, to fly on Etihad. And mm. so, a, a couple, a few years ago, I think it was around two thousand and fifteen. I think it was. I and this was just before the Eddie had devaluation. Um, I bought a Melbourne to Abu Dhabi um, first class on the Eddie had A380 for sixty thousand American miles, and I know that's a lot more now, but um, it was an absolutely sensational deal because uh, first class on Eddie had is uh, something something to absolutely behold. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good product, the apartments on the A380 with Etihad's first class. And I think now it's it's gone up to 100,000 miles from Melbourne to Abu Dhabi or actually anywhere in Australia to Abu Dhabi. But I don't know if you've heard, just about a week ago, um, American Airlines have made some changes to Etihad redemption. So when you were redeeming miles to go to Europe, um, for example, you, you would have to fly via Abu Dhabi, but it wouldn't let you price it as a through booking from Australia to Europe. So you'd have to pay the 100,000 miles to get from Australia to Abu Dhabi and then book it as a separate award from Australia, sorry, from Abu Dhabi to Europe. And that would be another 62 and a half thousand miles. But now you don't have to do that. It prices as a through booking to Europe and it's 115,000 miles in first class the entire way through Europe and, and also no fuel surcharges. So that's that's an excellent, excellent uh, deal for sure. That is definitely incredible because that's really only 15,000 more than what it was before the devaluation in 2015. Yeah, definitely. And and also American Airlines, I mean, they're selling their miles with some very generous um, discounts and bonuses. I think now if you buy 150,000 miles, you get 100,000 miles for free um, in the current deal. So yeah, definitely some value there and way cheaper than paying for first class you know, retail airfares. <laughs> Yeah, the only problem with buying, of course, buying miles from these U.S. carriers is our is our dollar is is you know sitting at around seventy one cents when it was uh, you know back back in two thousand fifteen it was around ninety. So the, the devaluation is occurring for us <laughs> in a couple of other areas. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's been devaluations across the board, and I mean there's we don't know for how long it's going to be possible even to redeem advantage miles for Etihad flights. There's some there's been some rumours that they might. Uh, cut that partnership and also there's been some rumors that you know american might follow united and get rid of award charts which would be a disaster um, hopefully not and i'm sure you're well aware the amex uh, credit card changes took effect last weekend or on monday rather were you affected by these changes or uh, how, how do you stand there yeah, so look, I was reading a you know a few of the the articles about what to do, and a lot of people were looking at you know uh, making changes before the uh, the devaluation came through by transferring their points to Qantas or Virgin or, or or something else. My view was based on the calculations that I had done was to sit tight 
because the one thing that didn't get devalued uh, was the were the transfers to the Marriott Bonvoy program. Uh, and as some of your uh, listeners may be aware, uh, when you transfer points to Marriott Bonvoy, you can then transfer them across to any of the airlines, um, well, the number of airlines. In fact, much more airlines than American Express has uh, direct transfers for. And so my strategy was to wait and then transfer those points to Marriott uh, at double the amount that I had before uh, and then use that little nifty uh, trick with Marriott where if you transfer, I think, is 20,000 points to a frequent flyer program, they give you an additional 5,000. Yes. So I, I, I did the calculations before, but I can't remember what it was, but you definitely come out ahead. So you were one of those lucky platinum char- um, charge card holders, I guess, whose points balance was being doubled? Yes. Uh, that, that, that's very handy. You, you're one of the lucky few there because um, a lot of people were didn't have that card or even some that had that card weren't having their points doubled. And so they've actually they, they've had to transfer out their Amex points before the uh, devaluation in order to prevent them from losing their value. So you've definitely been, been lucky to be able to take advantage of that. And when, when you uh, are transferring points out from Marriott Bonvoy, which frequent flyer programs would you then transfer the points from Bonvoy to? Uh, probably Alaskan, Matt. That's, that's what I did the last time, yeah. Ah, oh, that's, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, so it gives you the opportunity to transfer out to to Alaskan and uh, I guess there's a bunch of other programs that ordinarily you wouldn't be able to earn points within Australia, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, great. And um, you're also a frequent flyer with Singapore Airlines and you're a Chris Flyer member. Yes. Do you find that the Chris Flyer redemptions are particularly good value? Oh, they're great. Oh, look, you know, the Chris Flyer comes, you know, constantly um, making it more difficult and, and devaluing their points, but... Um, but they're still better than Qantas in my view, mm-hmm. and especially living in Darwin, where your only your only real option to fly international is on Silk Air, which is a subsidiary of Chris Flyer. We well, do have Jetstar. Uh, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> um, so, I'm so with Silk Air, <laughs> with Silk Air, you can fly business class from Darwin to Singapore, and then from Singapore, you've pretty much got the world at your disposal. So. I'm a big fan of, and, and it's also a little bit cheaper to fly out of Darwin to Singapore than it is from Melbourne or Sydney. Admittedly, it's not on Singapore Airlines, um, but, uh, you know, you, the world does open up as soon as you get to Singapore. And I'm constantly looking at repositioning myself into Singapore to take advantage of um, the other frequent flyer programs, including Qantas, because in my view, um, the highest and best use of Qantas points is Emirates First Class. Uh, that is an absolutely fantastic product. Yeah, so you've obviously flown Emirates first class. So what what did you like about it? Oh, just everything. It's just <laughs> uh, it's. <laughs> uh, in fact, I actually like it better than Etihad uh, as well. I, I think the lounge in uh, in uh, Dubai is just brilliant. They've got a, a dedicated first class lounge. Um, the product is consistently good. I mean, uh, I've flown Emirates first class from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, from. Um, Fort Lauderdale to Singapore. Uh, I've even flown it across the ditch from Sing- uh, from Sydney to, to um, Auckland when, when that was available. But it's just a brilliant uh, product. That, that whether you're flying the A380 or the 777, they've both got advantages. Um, and the the quality of the service, I think, is um, 
is you know it's probably I, I'd say the only other airline that I've flown that has a s- probably similar or better quality of of flight attendant service is probably ANA. Ah, oh, ANA is wonderful as well. Yeah. And, yeah, and I have to I have to agree with you there. I I flew Emirates first class for the first time about a month ago um, using Qantas points, of course, and the, the the carrier charges were quite high, but it was still, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I flew them on one of their random fifth freedom routes from Lanaka to Malta on the 777. So on that aircraft, obviously, there's no showers or, or bar, but the service was just excellent. The food was wonderful. It was just a really a, an all-around a very, very good experience and a very good use of Qantas points as well. Yes, exactly. And look, you know, Qantas's um, charges uh, do infuriate me, and you know, they're, they're quite uh, un- uncompetitive compared to you know the likes of American and Alaskan. But um, but you know, I mean, with Alaskan, you can you can use Alaskan points to to redeem redeem on Emirates as well. But I don't think it's as as good as it is with Qantas. No, the Alaskan rates there are. I think they're quite a bit higher for Emirates redemptions than they are with the other partner airlines that they have. Uh, which is a bit of a shame. And you were telling me off air that on one of your uh, recent Qantas frequent flyer bookings on Emirates, you accidentally misspelled one of the letters in your name on the on the booking, which is, I guess, it's a silly mistake that can happen to anyone. But your experience with getting that sorted through the Qantas call center was not exactly first class. No, it was just uh, troublesome. And look for your for your listeners' uh, benefit. The only reason I spelt my name wrong was because I had to input it about seven times because the last page kept crashing all the time. <laughs> so uh, at that particular point, so you know when you when you're inputting your name seven different times to, to uh, into a, a computer system, you're inevitably going to make a mistake, and I did. Uh, but I, I discovered that mistake immediately. And as soon as I discovered it, I got on the phone to Qantas, uh, to Emirates. I was bounced around like a charge particle between the both of them. And uh, and in the end, it took me about a week of calling because they basically told me, Qantas told me that um, I had to uh, cancel the booking and then retry again. Um, but of course, it takes a while for the booking to be purged and and, you know, depending on what time of the day you rang the Qantas call center, you'd either get South Africa or New Zealand or Tasmania. And that would also determine the quality of the advice that you were getting on the particular problem. Oh, that makes such a difference. Yeah. So eventually I actually got someone who had, who was experienced and she said, look, this is not a big deal. It should have been fixed straight away. You shouldn't have been charged any because uh, they wanted to charge me a penalty for that as well. And I mean, they have the same day, no change, no, no, no fee policy if you need to make a change on the same day. Exactly. So, yeah, it just depends on who you get. So, look, I am just not a big fan of the Corners Call Centre. I know they've now got that sort of uh, text message thing that you can do, which is a little bit less infuriating. But if I can avoid it at all, I just like to do all those things online first time correctly. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you in the... For the listeners who might not be aware, Qantas has call centres, I think, in five cities. They've got the premium call centre in Hobart, and then they've also got Auckland, which is the main one, Cape Town, uh, which uh, the less said about Cape Town, the better. I mean, it's it's basically the Cape Town call centres intended for the European market. So they have, if you if you select maybe the German or the French or Italian language option, you usually get put through to Cape Town. And also it's, it's just an overflow call centre. 
And normally you won't get put through to the Cape Town call center if you do enter your Qantas frequent flyer number because they, I think Qantas realizes that the call center there is not great. But I've had the misfortune of being put through to Cape Town before and they just, they cannot do even simple things. It's just infuriating. Um, and then they also have a, the, the frequent flyer service center is now in Manila and they have a Platinum One call center in Canberra. But yeah, the Hobart one is by far the, you get the best service, you get people that actually know what they're doing. But unfortunately, the wait times even just to get through to the Qantas call center have been really long lately. Um, do you find there's a, a good time to call? If it, I don't know if there is one. but That's a good question, Matt. I think late late at night is is tends to be better for memory yeah like i maybe in the i found sometimes in if i call on a saturday evening it's it's okay um yeah. maybe not on a friday evening or a sunday evening which are quite busy travel periods um and also early morning seems to be okay have you tried uh, calling them maybe like six seven o'clock in the morning no i've never done that okay yeah, and uh, yeah, I've had I've had my own troubles as well with the Qantas call center. Um, just recently, I have a booking coming up from Frankfurt to Sao Paulo via Madrid on Iberia, and the flight from Frankfurt to Madrid they didn't even change the schedule; they just changed the flight number, so it was leaving and arriving at the same time. When I called them up, they they said, "Oh." The, the One World desk is not open, call us back during business hours. So I did, and they said they'd have to refer it to Iberia, call us again in two weeks. So I called them in two weeks. It still wasn't resolved. Two weeks later, they uh, they finally had resolved it, and they said they'd reissue the ticket. They didn't reissue the ticket, so I had to call them back again. Eventually, it was reissued. And then last week, there's been an actual uh, another schedule change, and now the minimum connection time isn't met. So then I had to go through the whole rigmarole again, but it's just... It's just a shame that basic things are, are so complicated nowadays with the Qantas call yeah. centre. Yeah, yeah. No, the, 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 look, it's unfortunate that uh, most people out there think that, you know, they need to be a member of Qantas because there's no other options. But quite frankly, if they spend a bit of time on your blog site, amongst others, uh, they'd realise there's a whole world out there. Absolutely. And uh, and you're, you're from Darwin, I've I've actually never been to Darwin, so I'm just curious for people like me that have maybe not not yet visited. What kind of things are there uh, for visitors to do in Darwin? Well, Darwin is the home to obviously the uh, it's a gateway to Kakadu National Park, and uh, but people don't actually realise there's another national park called Litchfield, which is much closer than Kakadu, that is uh, more easily accessible, and you have the best uh, waterfalls and 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 wonderful. Um, scenery out here um it's a quiet place uh, i think the population of darwin itself uh greater darwin is about one hundred and twenty thousand people so you don't get caught in traffic jams and and of course the weather is absolutely magnificent especially as you go through the uh, southern winter so yeah what's when's the best time to visit for the weather uh anytime between may and early august uh you get the best weather but people do come during the wet season, which is sort of the October to, to, to January, um, mainly because they want to see what it's like, uh, you know, with, with thunderstorms and with the huge amounts of rain that we get. And the waterfalls are absolutely going gangbusters at that time. And it's quite spectacular. Yeah, okay. Sounds really nice. And uh, just, just uh, before we wrap up, you also host your own podcast. It's called Boundless Possible, I believe. 
That's correct. Yeah, so Boundless Possible um, is actually the, the, the branding strategy developed by the Northern Territory Government uh, last year. And so the Territory Government wants to sort of, I suppose, uh, promote the NT in a very positive way and sort of not be sort of tied back to the old, you know, the Crocodile Dundee days. And so they came up with this uh, with this uh, catchphrase called Boundless Possible. Uh, and they said anyone in the territory can use it for their own benefit. So I thought I'd grab that and use that as a podcast to just talk to local people here in Northern Territory about what they do, how they came to the territory, because most people here actually came from somewhere else, uh, uh, generally from one of the southern cities, uh, find out why they came here, what they do here, and this their general lives. It's, it's quite an interesting, uh, I enjoy it. It's an interesting conversation with people. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Leon, for coming onto the podcast. Appreciate your time. You're welcome, Matt. I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with Leon. And it's worth noting that since we recorded that interview just uh, yesterday, Alaska Airlines has already announced another new promotion on buying miles. So with Alaskan Airlines, you can now get up to 50% bonus miles when purchasing mileage plan miles until the 19th of May. And that 50% bonus comes in if you buy at least 40,000 miles and the maximum that you can buy in any transaction is 60,000 miles. And with Alaskan, you can buy up to 150,000 miles per year, including any bonuses, uh, unless you have status, in which case it is unlimited. And uh, the 50% bonus is pretty much the best promotion that we ever see from Alaskans. So if you're thinking about buying some, now's probably a pretty good time. Just for your interest, uh, Leon was speaking before about the first class award from Singapore to the United States, which cost uh, 75,000 miles flying Cathay Pacific. If you were to buy those uh, 75,000 miles now, it would cost you uh, just over 1,500 US dollars, which is well below the, the regular ticket price. And for that um, Intra-Asia Japan Airlines award, costing 25,000 miles in business class, you can buy those miles now with a bonus for 600 US dollars. Again, much cheaper than the usual price. So it might be of interest to some of you. That's just about it for another episode of AFF On Air. Don't forget that if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode of the podcast, you can ask it on the dedicated Ask Matt thread on AFF. And there is a link to this thread in the episode notes for this show. Other than that, thanks so much for joining me. I really do appreciate you tuning in to each episode. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, you can check out the episode notes or head over to australianfrequentflyer.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and a comment on uh, whichever platform you found this podcast. And you can also subscribe through uh, Apple Podcasts, Android, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you normally find great podcasts. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying. Happy flying.